0: section fourteen of mornings at bow street by john white this librivox recording is in the public domain kitty kavanagh there was a pretty though homely irish girl named kitty kavanagh brought before the magistrate on a charge of having stolen a small piece of coarse calico from a mrs dermody kitty kavanagh is the daughter of a watchman and she and her father lodge in the same house as Mrs. Dermody. The piece of calico formed the canopy of Mrs. Dermody's tester bed. One day lately, Mrs. Dermody missed the canopy. It was taken away even whilst Mr. Dermody was in the bed, and in a day or two after, she found it on Kitty Kavanaugh in the shape of an apron. Mrs. Dermody displayed this apron before his worship, and told him she could swear to the hemming of it, because it was very confident to be seen by anyone. Mr. Dermody offered his evidence, and being sworn, he said, Your worship, it's true, every word of it, what Mrs. Dermody was after telling you, for myself was fast asleep in the bed at that same time. His worship now asked Kitty Cavanagh what she had to say to it, and she replied, in the richest brogue that ever rolled through the red lips of an Irish woman, "'It's herself and her husband come home basely drunk, your honour, and her husband bait her and kilt her, your honour, and your honour sees Mrs. Dermody could not get to the bed by herself anyhow, because of the liquor that night, your honor and Mr. Dermody lay down in the bed by himself, Your Honor's Honor, and Mrs. Dermody lay down in the court. But what has all this to do with the stolen linen? asked his worship. What have you to say about the piece of linen? Is it the bit of linen Your Honor, spakin' about? asked Kitty with infinite naivete. Oh, I found that same at the stairfoot when all the bother was over. His worship shook his head as much as to say he feared Kitty was adding falsehood to theft. Her father, the watchman, presented himself, and having expatiated upon the excellent character himself and his daughter, had hitherto borne in the world he next attacked the reputation of the Dermodes, which he said was all that was bad and basely, and then he called two witnesses, who would tell his honor all the rights of it. His witnesses came forward. They were Patrick Duell and Michael Sullivan. But all that Mr. Duell could prove was the drunkenness of the Dermodies on the day of the robbery, and Mr. Sullivan had nothing to say to it at all, only that Kitty Kavanaugh was a nice young Cratter, and her father was just like her for all the world. This was, of course all nothing in the face of the fact so distinctly sworn to, and the prisoner was committed for trial. So the interesting Kitty Kavanagh was sent to jail, and perhaps lost her character forever, for a bit of old calico, not worth suspense. French and English Mixture Monsieur Gaspard Jacques Hercule Flament, a French gentleman with one eye, de graceur extraordinaire to the british public was brought before the magistrate to show cause why he should not be committed to prison for neglecting to maintain his wife in that style of elegance and comfort to which she is entitled or rather for neglecting her maintenance altogether the lady mrs Flamant, was a pretty little black-eyed sprightly englishwoman who by some odd whim or other as she said, fell in love with, and married Mr. Flamant, about six years ago. But they never could agree very well, and after five years of connubial misery, they determined to separate. Mr. Flamant, undertaking to allow her a separate maintenance of ten shillings a week, with which she was very well content, as she had a good comfortable mother to fly to. Mr. Flamant, however, was not a man of his word for though he paid the ten shillings a week pretty regularly at the onset of their separation he afterwards reduced it to seven and latterly to three this she humbly submitted to the magistrate was an income upon which no lady could exist and as mr Flement was the very best scourer at that moment out of paris She did hope his worship would compel him to make her a more suitable allowance. Mr. Flament could speak no English, and so he was attended by a professor of languages in a military cloak, and this professor took great pains to convince the magistrate that Mr. Flament was a very poor man, and that Mrs. Flament was a very naughty woman. "'She has robbed her husband three times,' said the professor." "'shut him up in de prison vents, "'and mad seven hundred grand's foul pas, "'Monsieur Flamant had better broke de best of his two leg. Don marry such hussy, hussy, as madame his wife.' "'Mrs. Flamant was about to recriminate, "'but the magistrate prevented her by observing that, "'whatever fault she might have, she was the defendant's wife.' and by the laws of this country, he was bound to support her. The only question, therefore, was what sum should be fixed upon, and he thought seven shillings a week would be an equitable allowance. The professor said Mr. Flamant would sooner quit the country than pay any such sum. "'Will he?' said the magistrate. "'But I will take care he does not, for unless something is agreed upon before he leaves his office, I will commit him to prison.' and then we shall see how he will manage to leave the country. The professor asked ten thousand pardons for offending his worship, and begged to observe that madame could earn seventeen shillings a week for herself, by her own hands. Madame replied that it was hat-binding to which the professor alluded, but she was sorry to say she was not so far accomplished in it at present, as to be able to earn half that money." After some further conversation, it was agreed that six shillings a week should be the stipulated allowance, but then the parish must be indemnified. The professor said there was not the least danger that Monsieur Flement would run away. "'Then why did you threaten that he would?' asked the magistrate. "'I did not mean, sir, that he should leave the country, the England,' replied the professor. "'Only this town, sir.' That he should go out into the country is all what I mean. The magistrate observed that it was not the custom in this country to say one thing and mean another. Vera, true, your worship, replied the smiling professor with a low bow, but John Bull say many things he does not mean for all that. His worship smiled also and did not take the trouble of refuting the slander, and the matter ended in the professor and another friend of Monsieur Flament, becoming sureties to the parish on his behalf. Unrequited Love Mr. Peter Twig, a venerable, rosy-gilled Greenwich pensioner, was charged with having created a great riot and disturbance in and about the attic residence of Mrs. Margaret Muggins, and with having threatened to beat the said Margaret Muggins to a mummy under pretense of being in love with her. It appeared that Mrs. Muggins, having lost her husband and being short of money and one leg, was some time an inmate of the parish workhouse, and there she was first seen by Mr. Peter Twig, who no sooner saw her than he felt he was a lost old man unless he could make Mrs. Muggins his own. He, therefore, determined to get himself admitted an inmate of the workhouse, for even the walls of a workhouse cannot hold love out, and what love can do that dare love attempt. He succeeded in getting into the house, and he succeeded in getting into the good graces of Mrs. Muggins. He told her of the battles in which he had fought, all on the roaring sea. He spoke to her of land perils and water perils, of fire, and smoke, and grape-shot, and the miseries of six-water grog, and he expatiated on the splinter that knocked off a piece of his nose, and Mrs. Muggins was moved. She loved him for the dangers he had seen, and he loved her, because, as he said, he couldn't help it. So they eloped together from the workhouse, and took shelter in a three-pair back, and there they fostered their venerable loves with gin and jugged jemmies for three entire weeks. But before the end of the fourth week, Peter's pension money and Mrs. Muggin's love were all exhausted, and in spite of his tears and entreaties she left him and went to reside with her married daughter. Poor Peter was inconsolable. He tried to drown his sorrows in max upon tick, but it would not do, for his credit was little, And his sorrows were large, and at length he resolved to move Mrs. Muggins to pity him by casting himself at her foot. But Mrs. Muggins had a heart as hard as any rock, and she would not see him, and he laid himself down at the threshold of her apartment, and wished the door at the devil. So he, built him a willow cabin at her gate and called upon his love within the house making the babbling gossip of the air cry out meg muggins and all this gave great offence not only to mrs muggins and her daughter but to all the gossips of the neighbourhood and they insisted upon his bundling himself off and he would not then they attempted to bundle him off themselves and then he flew into a great rage and swore he would beat mrs muggins to a mummy and mollify her heart with his fisties since he could not soften it with sighs and then they gave him into custody of a constable for fear he should do so these things having been detailed to the magistrate by the daughter and neighbours of mrs muggins for mrs muggins herself was too much alarmed to appear his worship asked the forlorn old swain what he had to say to it your honour replied peter I've been desperately ill-used she she knows she has ill-used me, and yet I can't forget she for the life of me when a man's in love, Your honour it's of no use talking to him. they may punch me and knock me about, but they can't knock the love out of me, and your honour may send me to Quad, but Quad won't cure me. What is it I would not do for she? Mrs. Muggins, she would have said, but Mrs. Muggins stuck in his gizzard. What is it I wouldn't do for she? And yet you see how she uses me. Your Honor, I've served my king and country many a long year, and have seen a hard service in all parts of the world, and have seen many places took by storm, and it's desperate, hard to be used, a thizen's, after all. His worshipped admitted that it was very hard, but as it was evident, the lady was determined not to yield. It behooved him to raise the siege and go into quiet quarters, for he certainly would not be allowed to take her by storm. Pierre declared he had no intention of taking her by storm, and said if she would only write him in answer to the letter he had shoved under a door, he would try to be content. His accusers undertook that the letter should be answered, if it could be found, and eventually Peter was discharged, with an admonition to cease from pestering Mrs. Muggins, on pain of imprisonment. A DUN at Supper Time. Mr. John Dunn appeared upon a warrant to answer the complaint of Mrs. Amelia Grotege. Mrs. Amelia Grotege is an elderly lady of some sixteen stone or thereabout, and short in proportion, or, more properly speaking, out of proportion, for it is a doubt whether her breadth is not nearly equal to her height. We are thus particular in her admeasurement, because it materially influenced the decision on her complaint. She deposed that upon her going to Mr. Dunn's house to demand payment of some money he owed her, he took her round the waist with one arm, whilst he gave her a violent blow on her shoulder with the other, and then turned her out of door. The magistrate expressed some doubt whether so small a man as Mr. Dunn could encircle the waist with one arm, but she assured him it was the fact, and so Mr. Dunn was called upon for his defense. Mr. Dunn had such a multitude of words at his command— and used them so lavishly that we cannot pretend to give his defense verbatim. But we gathered that he and Mrs. Grotage lived within seven or eight doors of each other, and that the account between them is a disputed balance. Nevertheless, they had lived upon good neighborly terms with each other up to last Tuesday night. On that night, Mr. Dunn had a little supper-party at his house, to which Mrs. Grotage was invited, and she came among the rest after supper mrs Gritage got very glumpish nobody could imagine what ailed her till at last she was rude enough to ask mr dunn when he meant to pay her what he owed her and threatened that if he did not pay her that very moment she would summon him to court next morning the company were of course quite shocked at this sort of conversation and Mr. Dunn, determined not to have the harmony of the evening destroyed in this manner, went quietly behind the angry and ill-bred Mrs. Groutage, threw both his arms round her waist, fairly carried her out of the house, and set her down at her own door. This was the only violence he offered to her, and any injury she had received was entirely owing to her own kicking and plunging. And clinging to the doorpost as he carried her along. This statement was confirmed by a host of witnesses, and Mrs. Groutage was non suited. End of section fourteen.